Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Nicole Bradford. Nicole is fascinated by human potential and technology. She is the CEO and founder of the Willow Group and the executive director and co-founder of the Transformative Technology Lab Conference and TT200 list. She's a lecturer at Stanford University and has a vast background in the international online gaming industry. Nicole is a thought leader in interactive and exponential tech and is committed to permanently move a billion people into a state of fundamental well-being and flourishing by 2030. So with these words, welcome, Nicole. Hi. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on for an interview today. This is a, this is a bold statement, a billion people by 2030 in fundamental well-being and flourishing. Let's maybe start right at the beginning of this decade because it's 2020 as we're recording this. There's a global pandemic. Like, what do you think and feel is, is the most uh, vital right now for people to embrace in these times of change? Yeah, I mean, I think that the place that we're at uh, is that basically what, what's going on and what was already percolating before COVID, but, you know, really got accelerated by it is that if you think of exponential curves, all of our tech is on exponential curves, all of our crises, climate change, like, like everything's on an exponential curve, all of our crisis, but human growth and development, the way that we learn how to feel, be, and become is linear. And so like the real challenge for humanity right now is really closing that gap. We've got to get the way that we become healthy uh, and happy adults. Um, and by happy, you know, I, I don't mean sort of like a, like a, a, a trite garden variety, but I mean like the deep questions of who we are, why we're here, what we want, how do we connect, what we do with each other, you know, how do we create an abundant world, um, starting with ourselves, we have to get that on an exponential curve. And that is like the fundamental thing. So, you know, I think that what this period represents is really that pre-COVID, there were lots of trends moving that way. Mm. All around the world, people were sort of, you know, looking, looking at the trends, especially sort of like the global uh, youth who have a lot more, they have so much in common because they consume the same media, um, a desire for authenticity. You could already see it a growing recognition of, uh, you know, the disconnection that we were all feeling. You could already see it. Um, and so what COVID has done is just really put oil on all of that. Um, and so it's actually, it's a challenging time, but it's also one of the most optimistic times I've ever had in order to, you know, really believe that real fundamental change is possible. Mm because the time is now and it's never been more apparent, right? I think you, you mentioned the global youth. I like to point that out. 50% of the world's population, that's half of the world's population is younger than 27, right? Which is like half of the world is exactly, as you said, already connected in a way that has never been, been normal before. And so what I'm hearing you speak about is, is a form of purpose. Like you, you mentioned the word authenticity. Um, and I know you've written uh, something about Ikigai, uh, Kairos, right? Kairos, Ikigai. So Ikigai being purpose in the Japanese kind of uh, philosophy and then Kairos being um, one of the time elements in the Greek 
mythology and philosophy. Do you want to dive into that a little deeper? Because I feel like there's yeah. a lot of purpose that, that kind of meets this opportunity right now. Yeah, they're really, really deeply tied. Um, so as you mentioned, Ikigai is really about finding um, that sort of like true, true purpose, what the world needs, what you can be compensated for, what you're passionate about, um, you know, and what you're good at and like all of those things to, together um, to this reason for being. Um, and so, you know, I think also in the future of work as a lot of tasks become rote and begin to be done by software, what is going to be left? What people will actually really be compensated for? Uh, whatever the currency is, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a coin or a fiat, whatever it is, people will, you know, what people will be compensated for really will be their unique contribution as a human being. Like what is their purpose? Now we're, you know, we've got some time to get to that and there's a lot of turbulence between then and now, but you know, that is where it's going. Um, you know, uh, and so then on the other side, on the Kairos moment, that's really about um, the moment that can change everything. You know, it's the moment that everything has the potential to change. And so those two concepts together, because the thing is, is it's sort of like the human future right now, it is not written. It can go mm -hmm. either way. We can go towards Hunger Games or we can go towards a future that looks a lot more like Starfleet, where humanity for the most part has decided that we are on the same page. It can go either way. And the difference in the moment are people, and especially the young people of the world, finding their ikigai and their kairos at this moment so that they can make their contribution to having us lean more to the side towards Starfleet than Hunger Games. So, you know, for me, I think that this is the, like, and even before, you know, the recent events of the, the last six months, I already felt like this was the most important time to be alive. And there's a, mm -hmm. you know, in history, there's a long line of people believing that, but because of the exponential curve on tech, the exponential curve on crisis and the gap between human growth and development and those curves, it actually is the most important time to be alive. And so everyone who is like young and passionate, you know, and, and ready to contribute, it's like, this is actually really your moment um, that you can change everything. 100%. I'm, I'm totally there with you. I like how you say contribute, right? Cause it's like stepping out of the spectator seat and stepping into the realm of participation. And the moment we participate and contribute, our own purpose becomes visible um, in the collective and the puzzle piece kind of gets completed. Do you want to maybe unpack the word purpose for you a little more, even like in, in light of your own journey? Because, you know, you've accomplished so much already where sometimes people look at the accomplishments, but purpose on the inside often feels very different. There's like a clear, sometimes like a clear energy where you're just like, I'm just following this. Everything else uh, is falling left and right because I'm just connected to this true feeling of essence, maybe. Yeah, uh, actually that uh, topic was one of the things that brought us together because I said it on a call and, and you said, oh, that's interesting. Um, for me, my purpose, I, I call it the golden thread. Um, and as I look back through my life, and I actually see from a very young age, the seeds of what I'm doing now were already there. The seeds were already there. So I encourage like anyone out there who 
is, is here's what I'm saying. It says, oh, that's great, but I don't know what my purpose is. Mm. Actually, the seeds of it are already in your life. Um, it is the things that you have already, um, the essence of things that you have already been most interested in. So it might not be, you might not be in the stadium. You might not know what stadium. You might not know what section. You might not know what seat, but the sort of like the general direction. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I grew up on Star Trek and, um, you know, I'm African-American growing up in Texas in the 80s. And, you know, when I watched that show, I saw a humanity where I and all like humans were accepted and they were on the same team. And, you know, and they were, and, and I have definitely have an explorer in me. I have a sense of the discoverer, the discoverer. I have always been an explorer. I've always been a discoverer. And so what resonated with me about that show was one, humanity on the same team. And two, you know, that they were going forth to discover. So like I'm six or seven already. Today, you know, my work is all about humanity on the same team sense of discovery, you know, and humans enabled by technology. So, you know, a long time later, I won't say how long, the seeds already. So the seeds of your purpose are already in your life. Um, then the second thing is that, you know, I uh, wrote a novel about nine uh, women who start a foundation or start a multinational company to fund a foundation to support, at that time I called it mental freedom for women and girls. Um, and they're, they were African-American, so their focus was North America, South America, and Africa. And it's an action adventure conspiracy theory. I always loved action movies. Um, you know, and what's really amazing too, is that, um, you know, it is, and, and, and you know, I you know, from my own experience too, it's about these, um, it's about these nine black women and the work that they do not only affects their own community, but when, you know, they get into trouble is when the world sort of notices what they're doing um, because what they're doing has ramifications for the liberation of all of humanity, you know? So, and I wrote that and I outlined that in college. And so this like, so the, the sense to sort of like, how do we do, what can we do so that everyone can come along? Everyone can come along. So this was like a long time before trans tech too. Already I had this sense of like, how do we create a world where everyone can come along? Um, you know, and, and, and so that was already there. Um, and so this was long before I got into video games, long before I got into transformative tech. And so my purpose today is still the same. How do we create the tools that allow um, everyone uh, the option to come along? Now, I don't believe that people are Tamaguchi. I really like, you know, there's a lot of do-gooders who uh, are very um, mm, autocratic about their do-good sensibilities. I don't have that. But I do want everyone to have the option. And I do believe that we need to raise the floor. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the skills and abilities 
and the tools to have mental and emotional well-being, social and emotional wellness, and have access to one's full potential. I believe that those tools should be everywhere available to all. Now, what they choose to do with that is completely up to them, but that's the work that I do. And, and that purpose, the threads of it, when I look back over my shoulder, it's been in my life from the beginning. That's super powerful. This, both, both the things that are kind of jumped out at me, um, for one, that raising the bar, but then from there, everyone gets to really do what they choose to with that you know, you know, bar of freedom or access to uh, resources because it's part of how we actually embody freedom. So we don't have to think it through for everyone. We just got to raise the bar together. And you know, there's a process that seems to kind of come through what you just said. It's, it's the process of inquiry. Like what really stayed with you from a young age were the questions, the questions that connected you to this reality around you and then ultimately to your work, right? The questions we hold create the reality around us. Yes. So I want to touch on something else that I remember from, you know, you mentioned this call where we were both on in Unified Planet uh, game and you mentioned something that really stuck, stuck with me in a, in a positive way around facing discomfort and being with the uncomfortable, both as leaders and in general as humans. Do you mind to kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so, um, so because of, so what, you know, the, the thesis of my work today is that, as I mentioned at the start of the call, that well-being is the force multiplier for the future of health, work, and human excellence. And that applying the exponential technologies to the inner landscape is what will allow us to move from stress, anxiety, depression, toxic teams, toxic companies, toxic cultures, low cognition, low emotional capacity, to mental and emotional well-being, where people have the tools that they need for health, you know, uh, the tools that they need for teaming, the tools that they need for human potential and performance. Um, and so because I am applying technology to the inner landscape, I often hear people say, oh, well, you know, like, how can you use technology to bring us closer when, you know, it's like everyone's like in their phones, we're all disconnected. And then this is the one part that, you know, always, you know, comes next, which is we used to be so connected, mm. like things used to be so good. Things did not used to be good. Like the, like nostalgia is a, is, is not a good look because if you look at the course of human history, we have a long history of being terrible to one another for race, for gender, for religion. Um, domestic violence was only classified as a crime in the last 20 years. It used to be just how things got done at home. So it's like, we were never great. We were never ever great. And so what people do is they confuse these horrible devices we have right now as the apex of what's possible. This is also, again, why it's a Kairos moment. So what we really have to do is we really have to make what we actually really need. And so to answer your question about discomfort, one of the things that we really need is to get really good with our emotions. People think that, you know, like there's this, you know, I won't take us sideways, but, you know, there's a lot of philosophy about, you know, when the role of mind, like people think that the brain is in charge, your emotions are actually in charge and your brain comes up with reasons to justify it. And so where we're at 
and where there's a massive disconnect is that people think that we're good with emotions, but we have actually never been trained to be good with emotions. So I'll give you an example that'll make this really clear. We're all born with vocal cords. Everybody gets born with vocal cords. No one gets born speaking German, French, Chinese, Russian, Spanish fluently. We have to learn it and we accept that we have to learn that. Similarly, we are born with emotions, but we are not born with emotional fluency. And much of the mischief, much of the misbehaving, much of the miscommunication, much of the dashed hopes, dreams, and capacities of human beings has everything to do that we have no idea how our inner landscape works and no one teaches us anything. We don't know how to deal with conflict. We don't know how to deal with discomfort. We're never taught, we're never told. We're supposed to learn it from our parents who were supposed to learn it from their parents from ages where, you know, from an age, I mean, in time where none of this was ever considered really important. Um, and so it's just sort of like the blind leading the blind. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess you could get away with it, except AI is sweeping through, you know, rote and automatable tasks. And all that will be left will be humans solving problems together, creating together, collaborating together. So what's left is the upside and we have zero preparation for it. And one of the things that being able to step into the upside is being able to sit with the discomfort. It's a part of the creative process. It's a part of all of it. Totally. Totally. It's also one of these things that, you know, um, if I go back to my beginning years of unpacking purpose um, and the notions I remember from being like a really young child, even people often confuse this idea of a utopian world that works for everyone as a world where there's no contrast. And with a world where there's no conflict or no discomfort. And that is not actually the same thing. A world that works for everyone will still have a lot of really beautiful contrasts. So we can see what we want to, you know, continue to creatively solve or continue to creatively find next steps to. And so um, I love yeah. where you went with this because I often compare it like we're being dropped off on this planet without an instruction manual. And so that instruction manual is something we, especially in these exponential times, in these you know, very ripe Kairos energy kind of times we're in right now, we get to make our own instruction manuals and then find a way to pass them on. And so my follow-up question on that kind of notion. I like that. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. just got chills. Nice. nice. Yo, short intermission. This is your host, Julian, for a short announcement. Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast is currently entirely self-funded from my private coaching practice and work in the world, speaking at events and teaching breathwork, meditation, as well as facilitating leadership programs. If you're at a place in your life where you're ready to level up, step forward and be all in, then this might just be for you. Have you considered hiring a coach? Or is it time to find someone who deeply cares for the same evolutionary revolution on our planet? If that's the case, I'm your guy. As a transformational coach, I've worked with hundreds of people at events and in person via weekly calls over various months. I'm in service to switch on humans just like you who are on the cutting edge of some of the most progressive stuff on planet Earth. And if that's not quite you yet, but that's the dream inside of you, then even more reason to reach out. Well, whether you are a successful entrepreneur, a startup founder or an artist, I am here to support more people to deepen their planetary purpose. I've developed highly tailored 
coaching programs that are based on bringing out your gift into the world because I believe in a world in which we can empower and encourage all individuals to express their unique gifts. And all right, before we get back to the episode, make sure you visit my website, greenplanet-blueplanet.com slash mentorships, or simply find your way there by clicking work with Julian and book a free consultation with me. And if you listen to the end of the episode, I will give away a discount for listeners only. So here we go. We're returning to today's episode. So on that note, I want to, I want to hear your point of view on education. And so the question goes like this, if you could, Nicole, alone or in a team of experts, change the education system at large what would be some pointers where would you start yeah you know i um well besides for really you know finding great ways to do social emotional learning i think that's a really clear low-hanging fruit in the uh, in the u.s 90 percent of teachers k through 12 want it um, as a part of something that they teach but the way that they are taught um, is either workshops, which are great, um, or most of it is actually content Kajabi drips that they watch on their PCs at home, which is the exact wrong way to teach it. It's like train the trainers via video about emotional intelligence. We need more activated yeah. ways. So one of the products that I'm so in love with right now is Moxie the robot. Mm -hmm. And Moxie was designed to be a child's to be a child's best friend, to be a child's confidant, and to be a parent's ally. But, you know, they did some really amazing things in it. And it's got like all of like the, you know, the, the uh, gold standard emotional intelligence, you know, academic backgrounds, how it's been developed. But Moxie, um, they did some really good things that I think are great examples for transformative tech in general. But Moxie is only uh, awake for one hour a day. Um, and then the, the robot, and it's got a little pixary face. Mm. So it's really, and it eye tracks. So it's like, it's, so it's watching the child's face and reacting and like emoting back to it. And then at the end of the session, um, the, the robot says, oh, I'm getting tired and starts to fall asleep. And then it won't, it won't, it can't be interacted with for an hour. I mean, for a day. What's great about that is one, children can't binge. Two, uh, so they can't get addicted. They can't oh, yeah. binge. Um, and two, um, they learn to wait. You know, it's like people talk about the marshmallow test and it's a something that you, you know, you watch and see if children have restraint and it's the marshmallow test, this is actually marshmallow training. Like it's actually teaching them patience, teaching them to wait, uh, which is a powerful thing in an on-demand culture to teach. Super powerful. Second, yeah. second what they've done for uh, data is that any, everything about the child, all of the, like every image of all the voice files, Everything is stored locally and the company itself can't access those actual files. So if a parent loses their password, the robot gets wiped. They're going to have to explain to their kid why the kid doesn't, why Moxie doesn't remember anything about their conversation with the child. Um, and then things that Moxie does is Moxie asks kids questions like, Who's your best friend? 
And the kids will say, oh, my best friend is Julian. And then they say, then, then, then the kids will get a mission to go and ask Julian how he feels, you know? And so the kids go off to like do the mission. So it's not about their interaction only with Moxie, but they go off to do the interaction and then they tell Moxie the next day. And they say, oh, well, this is how Julian felt. Well, how did that make you feel? You know, it's like mm. basics about how do we feel? How do we deal with our emotions? Um, and the other thing that's great about it too is it, it does do, uh, it, you know, the, the, the robot sends reports to parents. And so parents can see things like, you know, are there language gaps to see if there's like a developmental gap and things like that. So it's like they designed it to be an ally to the parents. It's not a babysitter. It's not a parental replacement. Um, and, you know, it's someone who is an expert in social emotional development in the form, you know, of a Pixar style robot who's helping, you know, children become aware of their inner state and landscape and be able to put words on it so that they could be better when they're, you know, so that, mm. so they're better able, not that they can be better because they're not broken, but so they are better able to have really rich and juicy human interactions. Cause it's like, mm. you know, I deal a lot. I'm passionate about the metaverse. Um, I also think we should be using games like 2.8 billion people play games. Like games should be a part of the educational system and a bunch of other things. But a lot of times people say, you know, these digital worlds are so compelling. I'm so worried that, you know, everyone's going to leave the real world. Well, that is actually, if that happens, really shame on us because we should be using the digital worlds to prepare people for the real world because these, these pixels are the absolute best. Mm -hmm. And we have got all of human evolution like from, you know, from the moment we were gathering in trees and then caves together, we have all of human evolution where we want to be together. That has been around longer than tech, around longer than everything. And since we aren't quite, you know, we don't quite have the pen of life, even though we know where it's at with CRISPR, we don't have that ability. The counterweight of human history is longer than that. So really, what we should do is we should use the virtual worlds and, and all of the augmentation and the phones and all of the tech to make it so when you and I are together, Julian, it is a fundamentally rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. And with that, we won't lose ourselves in the digital because I'm always going to want to touch you. I'm always going to want to smell you. I'm always going to want to like see your laugh and have it all happen at the same time. And if I'm prepared to be in that moment, then it will always actually be better than what I can do digitally. And that's how we have balance. So powerful, Nicole. And I'm so glad to, you know, explore this topic with you because you're so deep into the tech space and so deep into, you know, even the gaming industry as, as one of your uh, many backgrounds. So, you know, to hear the affinity of tech and also the understanding of it, but then to actually bridge it back to at the end of the day, we're organic beings on an organic planet and that is what matters. So this digital bubble we're creating is like a, you know, it's like a playground for us to, to practice, to learn, to have some experiences. And I think we could almost say like we already are at the place where our digital experiences are not really bringing us back to uh, the organic space. And that's why we're talking about it because it has become apparent and obvious that 
you know we are all binge watching things we are all you know like uh, looped into games that have no real meaning i remember being a teenager and gaming for the first time and thinking i remember thinking this oh man i wish i could do my homework in here oh man i wish i could do my practice for next week's test in here because i was so like uh, quotation marks addicted to playing the game you know it wasn't a real addiction but i was like I, I wanted to come back to it and i really didn't want to come back to my textbooks or learning and so that's really the next frontier. I just pulled up Moxie here at the same time as you were talking about it. And it looks like a, a fun Teletubby. I like that there is only one hour a day with it. So like lots, lots of mind-blowing moments there in, in your explanation about how, you know, how to bring tech into the education paradigm. Yeah, and, and one thing that I would say um, too is that one of the things that's really slowing us down is a, um, a inaccurate belief that many people have that the digital and physical worlds are separate. There is one world and there's digital elements in it and physical elements in it already. And it's too late. We're not going, the cat is not going back in the bag. There is one world. If we accept it, then we can start putting some design standards around it that include things like there must be a human in the loop. It must take you back to physical space. Um, the uh, the, um, the um, advantages that you gain in digital space must accrue to physical space. Like these are all design decisions. They're all design, you know, design principles. But this sort of like, you know, reactive, like this is over here and that's over there um, is what's keeping us from doing great design. Um, and so I just wish everyone would just be like, okay, it's one world. And, and, and so, and here's some examples of, of things that we cannot do without technology. Like a lot of people are like, oh, well, we could do that already. Here's an example. Imagine going to a concert. And one of the things that I often do when I'm in large gatherings is that I turn back towards the audience because you can actually feel human attention. You know, like you can feel the weight of human attention. Uh, but, you, you know, I meditate a lot and kind of have to be sensitive to it. But imagine you go to a concert and there's 100,000 people there and it's in, you know, it's in the big stadium um, and you've got your smart clothes on. And one of the elements of being in the concert or being there is that you get to feel nine, 99,999 human hearts. Imagine what that like what that would do. Now we can kind of feel it, but because we're at a distance and you have to really like get your energy straight to be able to feel it, imagine if that was accessible to everyone, you know? Um, and, you know, and one can see how that could be possible. Like the, like a lot of the deep tech on enabling something like that, that deep tech currently exists. It just simply hasn't been productized. Or another example would be, imagine walking through the forest by yourself and being able to feel and hear the mycelial network that connects the forest. Hmm. Yeah, I'm technology, right there with you. Yeah, technology is the only thing that can deliver those two experiences. That, and so it's not about these, these crazy little boxes you know, yeah, that, that we're attached are to. Definitely not the apex. They're just a, you know, a, a transition stage. Um, yeah. Otherwise we, you know, that would be a bad place to stop. 
Nicole, I have two more questions to you at the end of our interview here. Okay. And, and one, one is around trust, because I think a lot of, you know, leading into the future also has to do with trust and trust seems to be part of this quality of Kairos right now. So my question is more aimed towards you as a person, like what is required for you to experience trust? Hmm. Well, um, you know, so the two things that are required for me to experience trust, one is um, radical candor you know, uh, for myself, uh, and in all my, um, in all my core relationships, I am only interested in hearing the truth out of someone like that is it. Um, also, you know, I've gotten my ego to the place where, um, I just like, like, I don't, like, I don't need anything but the truth. Um, and I'd much rather know the truth about how someone's thinking, feeling than anything else they might have to say in order to try to human curl, you know, what they think my ego is. Um, so radical candor and radical candor is a big part of high performance teams and high performance teaming, you know, between individuals in inside of companies, between companies, especially between organizations that are working together, high performance teaming is critical for us to close this gap because we all have to work together. I'm mm -hmm. only working in human psychology, but it doesn't mean that I'm not interested in climate change, that I'm not interested in social justice, that I'm not interested in everything else. And all of the people, you know, the, 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 the good-hearted people of the world really need to invest in their leadership skills, in their willingness to have radical candor with one another, in their understanding of how to create high performance teams because there is a sense of urgency. We don't have a tremendous amount of time. So one, being someone who tells the truth, being someone who only wants to hear the truth, being someone who has the skills so people understand and feel safe to tell me the truth. You know, like those are the, that's one part. Trust building is a skill set. You know, trust is a skill. Yeah. And the ability to create trust is a skill and it's tied to this. And then the second part is I'm also at a stage that I won't join any teams uh, or won't be a part of any organization that uh, where everyone does not agree to essentially an operating system for how we all treat each other. Uh, right now, my current passion is uh, Conscious Leadership Group. They have, a, they have a book called The 15 Principles. And what I really love about it is that you don't have to have any particular level of consciousness to understand it and be able to work together because organizations have a wide variety of people at different stages. So if you're like, everybody has to be at the same developmental stage, you'll never be able to grow. And if you can't grow, you can't do anything at scale. You know, like anything important that humans do requires a lot of humans. So that's why I like that. And one particular example that's really easy for everyone to understand is that if you commit to being a conscious leader, you commit to having a zero tolerance of gossip in yourself. And the way that they define gossip is that if I have a problem with Julian and I am talking to anybody else about it, mm -hmm. including my spouse, my mom, my dog, I, and, and not you, I am not, I am gossiping. Mm -hmm. You know, usually people think about gossip as like something mean girl that people say to sort of like take down someone else's social status. It's not that. It's that if I have a problem with you and I'm not talking to you about it, 
then I am gossiping and I, you know, and I have to decide, am I willing to be that person or not? And so that's just a really simple one. I've seen in organizations, when organizations take on that principle that, you know, they're going to become a zero gossip organization, it's like the toxicity just drops really fast. Hmm. And, and what it means is that if I come into your office and I'm like, hey, Julian, um, you know, Maria is really getting on my nerves. You would say to me, hi, I'm willing to have this conversation with you, but only if it's to prep you to talk to Maria. If you are not going from my office to Maria, then you can't talk to me about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and then when everybody starts doing that, it disappears overnight. Yeah, trust is definitely a really deep one. And I love your exploration there. You know, it goes back also to the emotional ability to read one's own emotion and then to connect with others around that. In regards to, to the timing of this interview, I have one last question for you, just, just because this is truly the core of how Green Planet, Blue Planet started. And now let's, let's zoom out for, you know, on the timeline a little bit. Um, my question is basically, what is your earth vision? What is your dream for the planet? What is your dream for our, you know, our home in that sense, when we look at it from a seven generational context and seven generations, more so into the future than into the past, right? Like what kind of ancestors can we be for future generations? Mm-hmm. Well, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. What I would like is I would like there to be a, a floor of, um, well, I would, so basically I would like to, the ancestor that I would like to be is I would like to be among the people who uh, created the, the opportunity for every human being to flourish, uh, you know, psychologically, socially, emotionally. Um, and, and that's my, that's my contribution. I think that contribution, uh, supports the work of everyone who's doing other things, um, you know, climate and all of the other really important things that are out there. Um, so I think that's how my piece contributes towards that. Um, I definitely don't want to socially engineer. Um, I want people to have, you know, equal access to the tools um, that will allow them to understand who they are, to decide what is it that they would like to create, who they'd like to be, and then have the ability to do that, you know, according to their own level of interest. Um, and, you know, so I just want to create the capacity, the ability, the accessibility for, you know, this, this shift in human growth and development and consciousness. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Nicole, for your time. Thank you for your answers. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and here we are again. This is your host Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. 
that is as much as $500 for a three months program. And this discount applies for all one-on-one -on -one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships, and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one -on -one in small coaching groups on, online or in-person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships and mention the end of episode discount and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend. 